Hello and welcome to the Good Robot Andy, Season Five, Episode Four. My name is Andy Balam, and this is Andy Cockerill. And this is a special season where we are doing a countdown of the best horror films of the 20th century. We're counting down from 30 to 1, which is the traditional place you stop counting down. Uh, Well, maybe that's liftoff. But today, we're doing numbers 21, 20 and 19. Indeed we are. So we have have a countdown of what we've done so far. I've totally forgotten... What's well, I saw this list a long time ago, but I've got no idea what's coming up this evening, so I'm excited. But yes, let's do a let's do a recap. Go. Okay, a recap at number thirty. We had Gremlins. Number twenty nine, Near Dark. Number twenty eight, Altered States. Hang on, shouldn't I be doing mini reviews? <laughs> if you want to. Okay, start again. The thing is, the thing is, though, as we get further down the list, that's going to become more and more annoying. Right, but for this, it's going to be really brilliant. <laughs> okay, come on. Then. It's going to be at radio gold. At number 30, Gremlins. Meh. At number 29, Near Dark. Sounds all right. 28, Altered States. Sounds a bit uh, pretentious. Uh, yeah. Uh, 27, Hellraiser. <laughs> um, it had to be in because it's famous. Uh, 26, The Blair Witch Project. Excellent. Scary. 25, Jacob's Ladder. Freaky. Deaky. Uh, 24, uh, Nosferatu. Um, I can't remember anything about... Oh, no, uh, Nosferatu. I think Nosferatu, yeah, sorry. Silent, black um, and white, iconic. Yeah. Iconic, I'm going to go with iconic. Okay, 23, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, influential. Yes, that's a good one. And 22, The Wicker Man. Um, would be my number one. Right, okay. Well, maybe but not, it but not? anyway, it's, it's pretty, <clears throat> it would be in my top ten for sure. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think maybe it would have been if I hadn't found things that were better. <laughs> yeah, that would be the normal <laughs> reason. That tends to knock things down down the list. Yeah, so we're now on um, numbers 21 to 19. Yeah, should we start with a bit of feedback? Yeah, go for it. So we got some feedback from Cathy. Um, she said, uh, like, the people who've been following the podcast will know that Cathy uh, claims not to like horror films and has been enjoying hearing about horror films and getting freaked out hearing about horror films um, but saying that she likes it because then she doesn't have to watch the film ah. but now this week we discover Kathy has seen a number of the films on this list so her story's starting to fall apart um, she's seen The Wicked <laughs> Man um, yep. she said it's amazingly compelling and definitely deserves to be up there although I claim that she has no right to comment why? Okay, so can you explain what you mean by that? Because I saw that on our blog, and I couldn't understand what it means that you, you say she has no right to comment. Well, she was saying that Scream ought to be in the list, uh, and she was also saying that she hadn't seen any of the films on the list, so how is she supposed to say that Scream belongs oh, I on see. the list? Okay, yeah, right, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, anyway, but now it seems like she has seen some of the films on the list. She still thinks Scream deserves a place because it dissects horror conventions. And it's still yeah. quite scary. I thought it was quite it's, scary. I liked it. It's a good film. It's okay, Scream. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not going to comment either way whether it's on the list or not. No, you can't do that. Uh, she also no. says she's seen Sixth Sense and Shutter Island, and they might be on the list, but she thinks probably not. No, I, oh, no, I think... Uh, Shutter, I- Shutter Island can't be. Oh, yeah, it's it was, new. Uh, It came out in 2010. Yeah. 
She says she's assuming yeah. Alien will be there, which she's also seen. Um, yeah, then the UCOM. Assume, assume away, as they say <laughs> in the producers. Um, <laughs> she says she saw, in a later comment, she says she saw the Wicker Man without seeing the poster first. That's a good idea. Which was so lucky. Yeah, that is very, very lucky. So amazing. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Oh, well, gel. Yeah. Now she says, she also um, says, go on. Yeah, I think if you can, I I think it's generally the case with most movies, uh, especially these days when people are putting trailer after trailer after trailer and there are spoilers everywhere, that the least amount of information going into a movie, the better. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm very jealous of that because, you know, The Wicker Man's an old movie and it's very easy to have found out a lot about it before seeing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know much, but I had seen huge posters that told me exactly what was going to happen at the end. <laughs> yes. um, Kathy says, Shutter Island is another example of paranoid horror. And I think she's probably right about that. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, um, so we've got a new uh, genre here. I'm not, not sure it's a new genre. It's new um, to me, was, clearly. <laughs> well, I was going to comment on, um, on that, but I thought I'd save it for the podcast uh-huh, to talk about uh-huh. that point. Um Paranoid horror has been around for quite a long time, uh, particularly, I think you made the point actually, particularly in the works of Hitchcock. Yeah, well I thought um, that Vertigo, I think it was Vertigo that I was thinking So of. not necessarily horror movies per se, but certainly mm-hmm. this kind of paranoia, the creeping dread. Mm. Vertigo, um, also Spellbound, mm-hmm. which features the work of Salvador Dali in um, dream sequences, it's really bizarre. Right. Uh, also Rear Window is an example of paranoid, yeah, paranoid thriller. Fairly paranoid, isn't it? Um, a lot of Hitchcock's works feed into that kind of the idea that something's not quite right, but you can't put your finger on it. Mm. Um, so yeah, the whole genre that genre has been around for a long time, mm. but I think it's been finessed, um, yeah. in, finessed by people like M Night Shyamalan and Ding Dong with um, <laughs> uh, with the Sixth Sense. I think that there's a sense of there's something yeah. wrong, but you don't know what it is. And certainly, yeah, definitely Shutter Island, although it's it mm. can't be on the list, yeah. is definitely an example of paranoid, paranoid horror. Interestingly, I found um, the imaginary plotline in Shutter Island to be far more interesting than what was actually going on. Right. Yeah, I uh, kind of... Yeah, and I think that's... You said that spoiled it for you, and I... Yeah, I still... It did. I was okay with it. I guess I... Guess I've, that plot was real enough to me that it was okay or something. I don't know. And I think it, I think the film's good. I think the performances mm. are good. Yeah, uh, I yeah. like um, DiCaprio. I like Mark Ruffalo mm. in particular as well. He's very good. I do like Leonardo DiCaprio. He's good. He is. He get. I think he gets. Well, I think maybe he used to get a lot of stick because of Titanic. Mm-hmm. He's um, good in Titanic though. And the whole Leo Mania thing. Yeah, he is good in Titanic. Yeah, Titanic's a dreadful movie, but <laughs> you know. Oh, it's all right. So, Kathy, you clearly are a closet horror film fanatic. You are more than entitled to comment on what should be in the top 30. And I hope, actually, that um, there's a lot of really good movies in this list. Yeah, and maybe one or two you'll watch. Yeah, not all of them are sort of bloody horror movies. Uh, Although I have to say that all three of tonight's uh, are. Oh, I'm looking uh, forward to that. Are um, 
you know, vary on the bloodletting scales, shall we say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, well, listen, you're in for a treat. So, yeah, um, yeah, do you... uh, What Cathy did was she commented on the blog at artificialworlds.net slash goodrobotandies, which you can find by using your favourite search engine to search for the good robot andies. DuckDuckGo. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. DuckDuckGo. And she commented on the blog. You can do that too, listener. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. It's been fantastic. Yeah, because if you communicating uh, with yeah, you could ask us a question and we'll we'll answer it like we are doing now. We'll discuss it and yeah, yeah. See, you can make you can make an intelligent suggestion and increase the uh, intelligence quotient on the podcast. Careful now, by two thousand (laughs) percent. Careful now. We don't want too much of that going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can do your best, listener. Yes, Um, you've you've only got a certain amount to work with. Raise the bar. As they say, raise the bar. Shall anyway, we, yeah, we we're reachable. On? We're reachable on um, Twitter and Mastodon on our blog. Um, apparently, there's this thing called the book, the book of face, the book of face, which I where you can, which I very rarely do use. things. Yeah. Um, we're not on any of the trendy young social networks, but then neither are you, listener. Let's be honest. Uh, I'm on Instagram, but I never use it. Yeah. Well, yeah. we would be, but we don't produce any. We don't produce anything of note. Pictures. For Instagram. Picture content. No, I just can't be bothered with it, really. I can't be bothered to arrange my dinner and then take a photo of it. I just want to eat my dinner. (laughs) (laughs) You've just alienated our one remaining listener. Yes, that's right. They'll be like, what's wrong with that? I always take a photo of my dinner. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we've probably wasted enough time. Let's get on with this. Okay, all right, let's do it then. So um, we're in at number 21. Straight in at number 21. Straight in at number 21. And this is a film from all the way back in 1976. I'm just going to check the list to see if... uh, No, okay, so this is the first uh, uh, Stephen King adaptation on the list. Oh, okay. In that case, it must be... Yes, from 76. What do you think it is? The Shining. It's not The Shining. Oh. It's not The Shining. It's uh, Carrie. 76. Oh, Carrie. Yeah. Right, yes. Yes, which is an American supernatural horror film directed by Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. who is a bit of a legend, Brian De Palma. He's made a lot of really... Well, he's made like... some very good films mm-hmm. and some ropey films. Mm-hmm. I suppose <clears throat> his career has been a bit up and down, but he's made, um, apart from Carrie, he made The Untouchables, which I think is a fantastic. Uh, I think I enjoyed that crime thriller with in, in which um, Kevin Costner kind of cemented his on-screen persona for the next twenty-five years, mm-hmm. portraying Elliot Ness. Also got a very good supporting role for Sean Connery, for which he won an Oscar mm. in um, The Untouchables. And um, a very scenery-chewing Robert De Niro as Al Pacino. Uh, in a very famous scene in The Untouchables in which he... Um, oh, Robert De Niro as Al Pacino. Yes. In which he wields a baseball bat around a table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure people. I've seen it. It's good, The Untouchables. Anyway, so yeah. Um, Brian De Palma. This, this is an early De Palma film. Uh, a screenplay written by Lawrence D. Cohen and adapted from Stephen King's 1974 novel of the same name. Oh, right. So it's two years after the book. Yes. Yeah, quite soon after the book. Yeah, because King, mm. um, 
I think King, for the last 20 odd years, has been famous for selling the rights to his books for not very much money. Um, oh, really? If he likes the filmmaker, he'll just sort of hand it over for not very much and, and then see what they make of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the film stars Sissy Spacek, who at the time was a rising star, but you know I think today you would say she was a. I mean, she probably doesn't do do too much today, but you know she's a um, a very highly highly respected actress. What do I know her from? Carrie. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I'll dig into her back her um, catalogue in a moment, but uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so she plays a character called Carrie White who is a 17-year-old diffident teenager who is the butt of practical jokes at high school. But one day, she discovers her possession of telekinetic powers and puts her powers to use when she is humiliated with pranks. Mm-hmm. And the film also stars Piper Laurie as her mum, as her nutty evangelical mother, in a really terrifying performance by Piper Laurie. Uh, yeah, also, um, Amy Irving, Nancy Allen from Robocop, who plays <laughs> Officer Lewis, William Catt, Betty Buckley, and John Travolta in the supporting roles. I don't remember John Travolta being in it. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I mean, they're obviously they're all really young in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it was the first King novel to be adapted into a feature film. Mm-hmm. De Palma was immediately intrigued by the story and persuaded the studio to direct it while SpaceX was persuaded by her husband to audition. And is the right. first of more than 100 film and television product productions adapted from or based on the published works of King. That's quite an achievement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think <clears throat> if, uh, if you pick a random adaptation of a Stephen King story, yeah. it's much more likely to be good than if you pick a random Stephen King book and read it. Um. Hmm. Okay. Can you I give me an, much can time you give me an example of that? <laughs> I don't have much time for the books. Any of them. Okay. I used to really like them. It, um, I listened to a couple of audio books of his last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one called Duma Key, which I really enjoyed, and one called Under the Dome. Ah, which was made into uh, the dome, or. Uh, yeah, it was called. I think it was a show called Under the Dome on, was it called on TV. Um, Under the Dome was just unremittingly grim and depressing. It's like in The Simpsons, isn't it? That uh, yes, the Simpsons movie. Yeah, Simpsons movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's. Been, I think that. Uh, well, actually, my my still number one movie in my top ten of movies that still hasn't been usurped is The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, and that's, which, was that written is, under his name? Uh, yeah, it was part of a, uh, I think a series of four novellas that came out. I th- no, I'm trying to think. Was it different seasons? Uh, so there's um, four books that I think that three of them were made into films. So there was um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption is the first one. Then there's a story called The Body which was made into Stand By Me. Stand By Me, yeah. Which is amazing, Stand By Me. Uh, and then there's a movie, uh, there was a story called Apt Pupil that was also made into a movie. So the by far and away, my favourite Stephen King book is one he wrote under a pseudonym. Oh, is that The Running Man? Which is The Running Man. Yeah, Running Man's really good. Uh, which I thought was an absolutely brilliant book and an 
awful film. Yeah, it's dreadful. It stands out for being an Arnold Schwarzenegger film that I can't bear to watch, yeah, even though it's got so, Arnold Schwarzenegger so in it. Bad. There's an interesting story behind that, is that it was in trouble uh, production-wise. They couldn't find a director, or they lost a director very late on in the process. Mm-hmm. So they approached Paul Michael Glazer, who had played Starsky or Hutch on Starsky and Hutch, because I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said to him, look, we know you can do stuff cheap and quick, and we need you to do this cheap and quick. And it looks like it's been done cheap and quick. Such a waste. And if yeah. you look at the, some of my favourite films, like, I mean, especially uh, Series 7, The Contenders, yeah, based on the same idea, and so great. It's such a disappointment. Well, also, I think, I think the novel is really influential on stuff like The Hunger Games, in terms mm. of, you know, totalitarian state... Yeah. Having a game that is, you know, meant to entertain them and keep them occupied from all the grim stuff that's happening. Anyway, yeah, yeah, we're getting yeah, uh, anyway, we're yeah. getting slightly sidetracked. So, so, so. yeah, the, uh, <laughs> um, Carrie. Yeah. Um, it starts. It's a film. The movie starts in uh, how to talk around the start of this film. So it starts in the showers at high school, uh, where Carrie White experiences her first period. Um, and then her fellow classmates all give her a hard time about this. It's a really voyeuristic, in-your-face, um, amazingly shot scene that uh, you can imagine these days, or maybe back in the 80s or early 90s, someone like Paul Verhoeven would have done this scene justice. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to what? say who else would have done it justice apart from Brian De Palma in the case of this movie. Um it's- it's yeah. made so much more awful when her mother tell, tells her that this is it's uh, um, it's a sinful. sign of her sin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, at the prom, which is where where the movie ends, um, <laughs> they play a prank on her. Her, you know, her classmates play a prank on her. They um, tip a bucket of what I think is pig's blood. Over her head. In fact, I think somebody's trying to stop this from happening, but it happens anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, all hell breaks loose, basically, inside mm. the hall. And um, I think that uh, what could be a very um, exploitive material is handled so well by Brian De Palma... Um, because you know Brian De Palma is isn't a schlocky filmmaker. You know, he, although this was his an early film of his, uh, he would go on to make some really great movies, and uh, so this whole scene in the in the prom hall is handled so well in terms of the cinematography and the sound design, and that you start to feel uh, sympathy for her the, her persecutors, even though they are having horrible things done to them by her telekinesis. And it's very effective. Mm. Yeah. It's certainly an impactful yeah. film. It's an incredibly it's, impactful film, yeah. I, I haven't seen it for ages and ages, but I felt like... I, I remember feeling like it was flawed. Like it was... I don't know, not as, not as good as it could be, but I can't really put much more flesh onto that, so there's probably no point saying it. No, okay. So um, Quentin Tarantino said he placed it in his number eight in a list of favourite films ever. Wow. Yeah. 
I think it certainly is probably an underrated movie, maybe an underrated King adaptation. Maybe I should watch it again. It's very good. I mean, I watched it a couple of years ago when um, we were having a Stephen King adaptation a thon at home. <laughs> so we watched. Isn't there a remake? Uh, uh, there is a remake with Chloe Grace Moretz as Carrie. There was also right. a sequel called Carrie to the Rage, which I haven't seen. Right. So you have, were saying yeah. you were, what did you watch at your thing? Uh yeah. So I watched Carrie. Watched Christine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Dead Zone, which is amazing. Mm, I haven't seen that. Um, I think that was it. Those three. Mm. Uh, so the Dead Zone is is directed by David Cronenberg, right? Um, and it's sort of like a perfect marriage of material and director, right? In the way that the story is quite downbeat and a bit cold and um, distant. Mm-hmm. So Cronenberg, for me, at that time, was a very cold, distant, analytical film director. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of kind of suits the material perfectly of The Dead Zone. Right. Uh, I think of late, although um, the last... I'm trying to think of the two things that he did with... Um, no. The two first movies that he did with Viggo Mortensen. Uh, History of Violence, which I thought was incredible. Haven't seen it. And Eastern Promises is also very good. As right, well. uh, that's the one with the... Um Naked fight in a bath. Yeah, bath bathhouse, which is pretty Haven't full seen on. That either it's pretty full on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think history of violence is terrific. Um, mm. yeah, it's supposed to be really good. I think it just sounds too grim. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it is. It is definitely grim. Um, so yeah, Carrie is at number twenty-one. Mm. It's uh, it's really good. I mean, it's it's you can't argue whether it's horror. It's horror. Oh, it's definitely horror. Um, there's a lot of bloodletting, but why? The reason why? Should, should I talk about the reason why it's in the list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Why don't I ask you that? Okay. Why? Why does it have to be in the list? Why is it? Because okay, so it's the first King adaptation, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Brian De Palma film, and uh, I'm a Brian, Brian De Palma fan, uh, and it's a really good adaptation of a Stephen King novel. Hmm. Um. And is it it's, scary? Uh, not I. Th- well, I think intense. I would say rather than scary. So, I think the yeah, scenes sort of horrible. with um, uh, Carrie and her mum mm. are incredibly intense and unpleasant. But I'm not sure they're very scary. And then, yeah, no, I don't think it is very scary. Maybe that's what bothered me. The the and the, at the end, you you're definitely not scared. You're kind of yeah. There's you know, you're either there's a hokey her. ending. Yeah, you are. You're either with her or or you're thinking this is just out of order. But either way, you're not really scared. Like the scariness is really in the build-up, and and her her um, life is the the scary. Her life is horrible and messed up and grim. Um, so I think that De Palma takes material that in other someone else's hands could have. Yeah, let's say Quentin Tarantino's hands (laughs) could have been schlocky and B movie. I'd like to watch the Quentin Tarantino version. Well, it might might be less boring. Um, uh, he takes material that could have been schlocky and B movie, and he elevates it into right. something that's better than that. Right. Yeah. So that's why it's, that's why it's there. Cool. Yeah. That's number twenty one. What's not, at number twenty? Uh, number twenty is a film that is incredibly famous. Um, Am I supposed to guess it? Uh, well, no. Based on that, you can't. <laughs> anyway, shall I? Um, okay. So I'll say that. 
this is the second time that a very famous uh, psychiatrist was portrayed on film. Is this The Silence of the Lambs? It is. It is, yeah. Is the first time Red Dragon? Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, because that book came first. I wasn't aware there was a film that came first. Yeah, so Maybe Red Dragon is Red Dragon uh, was adapted into a movie called Manhunter. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. And then later there was one called Red Dragon, but yeah, 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 okay. yeah which is not good. All right, okay. It's pedestrian. Yeah. So the Silence of the Lambs. It is the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, so a nineteen. No, it's, uh, sorry, is it or is it called Silence of the Lambs? It is called The Silence of the Lambs. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, it's a nineteen ninety one American psychological horror thriller film directed yeah. by Jonathan Demme, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. From a screenplay written by Ted Talley, adapted from Thomas Harris's nineteen eighty eight novel of the same name. So another adaptation that came very soon after the novel. Mm. Um, is it a horror film? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it? a police procedural. It's a thriller. I mean, no, it, it could definitely contains horror elements. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll talk about those okay. in a moment. Um, if I can stop interrupting you. Yeah, if you do. <laughs> so the film stars um, Jodie Foster. And an excellent. Yeah, really, really good performance. Yeah, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. In a okay performance. For which he won an Academy Award. Uh-huh. Uh, Scott Glenn, who's always solid. Ted Levine, in a very creepy form as a character called Buffalo Bill. Mm. Who, every time I see Ted Levine on screen, I just think of Buffalo Bill, because he's just so creepy and unpleasant. <laughs> in the mm. movie, obviously. Uh, and Anthony Held. Um, and in the film, Clarice Starling, a young FBI trainee, seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter a brilliant psychiatrist and cannibalistic serial killer to apprehend another serial killer known only as Buffalo Bill. And his catchphrase is... Oh, I mean, I think about this movie an awful lot, Science of the Lambs. I've probably seen it as many times as I've seen The Shawshank Redemption, maybe more times. Really? Yeah. Um, I was quite, good. I was good. quite obsessed with it for quite a while. Right, okay. Um... Uh, it has a it has a grim autumnal tone to it. Mm-hmm. The Silence of the Lambs, you know, the, the lighting and the locations are all very downbeat. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's an inevitability of her kind of downfall. Yes, Jodie Foster's. I mean, yeah, and and an inevitability that Hannibal Lecter is plotting an escape. But also that she's going to kind of betray her own principles in some way that's hard to define. But does she do like that? He, he, I suppose he she corrupts does. her. She does some... do that, yes, because she goes to see him, yeah. So this is, I think, famous for the clips that we see most of the time on the television are the father being seen, um, which has now passed into pop culture lore, I think. The what scene? Father beans. A census taker once tried to dissect me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Chianti. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but mainly because of Anthony Hopkins' performance. Uh, yeah. He, it's quite weird. His performance <laughs> yeah, is actually, quite yeah, strange. I was mean about it. But actually, it, 
it's only it was amazing at the time. It's only slightly spoiled by his later performances where he he's not great. Is yeah. it? It's annoying, and it you can it kind of translates back into that. Yeah, but the first time that we see Lecter in this film, yeah, he's terrifying. He is terrifying. Yeah, so um, reminds me of Psycho, the end of Psycho. Yep. Uh, so we uh, we hear someone saying to Jodie Foster's character, "Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. Don't do this. Don't do that. Only give him things through the drawer." Etc. Etc. Yeah. And then she walks down the corridor, and there's all these mad people in cells shouting at saying her, saying horrible things, saying yeah. horrible things. And then she comes to the end, which is where his cell is. There's a chair in front of it, and he's just standing there, absolutely still, with his hands by his sides, and his head is turning to watch her as she walks down the corridor, and it's just like. Oh, I'm actually getting chills thinking about it. I think it's one of the reasons why I watched it so much is because mm. his performance is magnetic. Um, yeah, you're right. I was unkind about it. It's good. It's really good, and so that's the first time we see him. It doesn't. It wouldn't work without Jodie Foster being so good. No, it wouldn't. No, she's terrific, and she, th- you know, she's thrown into this assignment by her boss. Um, and her boss knows exactly what Lecter is capable of, but he sends her there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we later find out why he sent her there, uh, because he thought that Lecter wouldn't be able to resist a young, pretty woman, mm-hmm. and he might open up a bit, which he does, but I mm-hmm. think that from the moment that he sees her, he's already plotting his escape. You know, he's already working it through. Okay, how can I make this work for me? Mm-hmm. Um how can I uh, turn this to my advantage kind of thing? Uh, so, um, but and yet all of those things are interesting, but Lecter is very much a supporting character in this film. It's not really his story. You know, he, he doesn't share that much screen time with Jodie Foster. But mm. interestingly, that's all you really remember about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you start to think about it and then you start to think about the the scene with Buffalo Bill and the woman in the well and the the thing puts the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. That's really messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing that he's making in his dressing room mm-hmm. out of human skin. We probably shouldn't talk about that too much as she is so grisly and horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the what I would describe as operatic violence where Lecter... Uh, gets himself transferred to a place that isn't a secure prison and he engineers an escape Um, and his escape is uh, to wear another man's face upon his own so he looks like someone else and it's just oh it's horrible and there's some good acting where you can't see any of his face because he's got a horrible mask on yes yeah very good yeah. Yeah, it's it works. Yeah. Um it works. it's scary. So it's here, it's it's on the list. And mm. I think it's the best uh Hannibal Lecter movie. Oh, uh, there's no doubt about that, surely. Some people think that Manhunter Manhunter is a better film. I think that Manhunter right. is a better film in some ways, but it's not the best lector. Right, okay. okay. I think that Brian Cox is a good lector, but I don't think he's better than Hopkins. Uh, you know, uh Brian Cox is playing him quite 
downplaying it, whereas Hopkins is just going for it. <laughs> um, and it works. You know, in the context yeah. of the Science of the Lambs, the performance works. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, so this did incredibly well. This is probably one of the most successful movies on the list, actually. Mm. So yeah, it's mainstream. Yeah, it's very mainstream. Um, although... Though you say it's mainstream, it does deal with some dark, disturbing subjects. Well, yeah, hearing you describe it, it doesn't sound mainstream. What I I meant by it's mainstream is it's, like, known. Yes. It's a a film that normal people have seen. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's quite um, dark when you describe um, it that way. I think the masterstroke of it is the casting of Jodie Foster, Mm. who was on the way up as a star. And, and and Anthony Hopkins, you know, th- those are the those are the two selling points of this film, and this is mm. why people went to see it. Yeah, uh, it did really well. Yeah, so it grossed two hundred and seventy-two point seven million worldwide, against a budget of nineteen million, which is really good. So why does it deserve to be on the list? Is it because you are obsessed with it? Uh, yeah, partly, uh, but partly because uh, it shows that. Horror can encompass many different genres in a horror movie. So this is a police procedural. This is a psychological thriller, um, as well as being a horror movie. Uh, it's also mainstream. I think probably the most mainstream mm-hmm. film on the list. I think it would be a good, you know, if you're not a horror movie fan, you've probably seen The Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Um, it, it, yeah. it contains a lot of the classic horror tropes. It has like the hits the. The, the how he looks is very Hitchcock, like it reminds me of Psycho. But also, that whole plot of it's like, there's like what psychiatrists are are they like people who can see through you? Yes. And like the whole stupid thing about that whole stupid thing. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's got that, and uh, it's got a kind of um, woman in trouble. You know, it's, it's yeah. got everything. And she's the last girl as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I love it. I think it's a, I think it's an utterly brilliant film. Uh, interestingly, for for fans of um, schlocky B movies, uh, Jonathan Demme was a protege of a man called Roger Corman, um, who uh, died a few years ago. A very very important filmmaker from the nineteen fifties and sixties, who made. Um, you know, films on a shoestring budget, but he also fostered talent. So he would, he he fostered the talent of people like Francis Coppola and um, Jonathan Demme, George Lucas, among others. Mm. So they would come and crew for him. And then he would give them a camera and some film and say, okay, go and make a movie. Just uh, go and employ what you've learnt on this set and go and make something. So a lot of filmmakers learnt how to make movies. That uh, seemed to work. Yeah. Uh, but he's in the film very, very briefly mm. uh, as a district attorney. Hmm. You know, he appears for like, blink and you miss it. But he's in the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, um, yeah. Assuming you agree it's a horror film, which I think I, think I probably should. Yeah. I think I probably should. Yeah. Um, then it it's it's got to be on the list. I mean, it's 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 huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's a it's a massive, massive movie. Uh, th- a thrilling uh, roller coaster ride of a film in many ways. Yeah, I find it. I find it um, creepy. Yeah. In, in our our modern age of um, 
thinking, especially thinking about gender roles and like the classic. I mean, a lot of the films we talk about are going to be about like corrupting innocence. But yes, the, um, yeah, definitely. And and Jodie Foster's know. character is definitely corrupted as the film goes on. Yeah, and that's what makes it so compelling. But it's also what is very much like it's very confined to our old-fashioned ideas of gender and things like that. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. But that's what that's what makes it sort of so gut-affectingly oh, it's scary. Brilliant. Yeah, it's utterly brilliant. So yeah, that's the science of the lambs. And uh, that was number twenty. Yeah, number. Uh, n- uh, Oh yeah, it was yeah. At number nineteen. Am just, I going to guess it? Uh, you can. Well, you can try. Yeah. All right. Give me a clue. Uh, it's Japanese. It came out in nineteen ninety nine. Is it uh, Tetsuo Two? Uh, oh no. Is it the one that we always talk about that I've forgotten the name of? <laughs> Audition. Audition. Yes, it's audition. <laughs> it's audition, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, hit me. Okay, so it's a a nineteen 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 ninety nine Japanese. So it's just squeaked in. Yeah, there's a, the there, there's actually quite a few of these that just squeaked in. There's the Blair, right, Blair Witch right. Project as well right, right, right. Uh, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. So it's a Japanese horror film based on the novel of the same name, directed by Takeshi Miike, who is an incredibly prolific filmmaker. I was looking at his um, filmography and it has a page of its own on Wikipedia. Oh. Uh, you know, he's uh, he produces sometimes two films a year plus episodes of television series. Wow. Um, he's got something driving him <laughs> that means yeah. that he never stops. <laughs> um, but anyway, Audition is about a recent widower um Played by Rio, I'm going to get these names horribly wrong now because I haven't rehearsed any of this. Just played uh, by just plow on. Oh, okay, so Rio Ishabishi, whose son suggests that he find a new wife. Uh, he agrees, mm-hmm. and with a friend, stages a phony audition to meet a potential new partner in life. Right. And so after- he's he's committed something morally dubious there, which means that everything he gets, he deserves, right? Well, does he though? <laughs> That's the that's the horror film. <laughs> yeah, it is. Idea, yeah. right? If it's you do trope. something morally yeah. dubious, yeah, and then get punished then, uh, for it, you get punished. Yeah. So after interviewing several women, he becomes interested in Asami, who responds well to him. Although, as they begin to date, her dark past begins to af- begins to affect their relationship. And oh, does it ever? So. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was originally uh, started by the Japanese company Omega Project, who wanted to make a, make a horror film after the great financial success of their previous production, Ring. Right, yeah, that's good, that. Yeah, it is good. And to create the film, the company purchased the rights to the book Audition and hired a screenwriter and the director to film an adaptation. Um, it's very it's very polished looking. Yeah, it is. It's very slick looking and I think um yeah. that's what kind of belies the messed up subject matter is that it's not it doesn't look exploitative. It looks like a mm-hmm. um very mainstream thriller until I, some I stuff really happens. <laughs> until some stuff happens. I I remember it being 
beyond what you would expect to happen. But I really don't remember. In fact, there's not a lot. We can't really talk about the stuff that's beyond because it's so out of order. <laughs> um, but there's a scene. Uh, there's a scene where we see the the female protagonist going back to her apartment, and there's these sacks on the floor that seem to be full of something. Mm-hmm. And she goes to answer the phone, and one of these sacks moves, and we realise that we realise that there's people in there, but they're not complete people. They've mm-hmm. had, they've had like body parts removed. Um. And then at the end of the film, we see her try and uh, remove some of uh, our male protagonist's body parts. And it's, oh man. I mean, I think this is the only film that's made me feel physically sick when I watched it. So if if uh, if The Silence of the Lambs is something that uh, you might expect people to have watched or you might recommend to yes. people to watch yes. if they're following this series. Yeah. I, I would say leave audition pretty late in your horror education, yeah, definitely. listener. I would say that if you're going to watch all of the films on this list, leave audition till last. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Not not yeah. because it's the best, although it's, it is good. It's, it's got something to it, that's for sure. It definitely does because I keep talking about it on this podcast. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot. Yeah, because it it sort of stretched something to a limit, which is why we're probably going to end up talking about Mother quite a lot as well. Yeah, for the same reason because it's so good. Because it goes to the end and then goes quite a long way past. Yeah. And then it goes quite a long way past that, and then it goes quite a long way past that. In the same way, in the way that we were talking about the Wicker Man, Mm. where you know I was saying they're not going to do that. uh, Oh, they are going to do that. Oh, (laughs) oh, now they're going to do that. (laughs) Okay, and that's that's the end. And now that's happened, (laughs) and that's like Mother, but Mother is like ten times that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like, like okay, they so got halfway through, yeah. and at that point you're like, okay, that's enough. Nothing else can happen. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, there is another half a film yeah. where every five minutes something else makes you feel like nothing worse could happen. Yeah, and then something worse does happen. <laughs> that's Mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Audition's not like that, is it? No, it's, but it, has, it's it, not. it does go well beyond. It does go well beyond it. What it is, uh, is an example of a, a movie that changes genre halfway through. Right. So this starts out as a man looking for love after his wife has died, albeit in a, in a not a very nice way. He could just place an ad in a newspaper, right? But he doesn't. <laughs> um, uh, so it starts yeah. off as that, and then it switches to a, yeah. a so psycho killer story. Would you say it starts off like a romantic comedy? I, uh, I would think maybe it starts off like a thriller but turns into a horror. Or, uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, I'd say that it starts off as a it's definitely not a rom-com, but it, it it yeah, I'd say it starts off as a as a drama mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. some dark overtones or undertones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then switches immediately like with a blink of an eye in a way that another yeah. movie on the list does that I can't talk about. Uh, switches to be a psycho killer film. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. really doesn't let That's... up until the end. Um, yeah, so there's a, yeah. uh, and several films I can think of that that turn in that way. So I, ju- I won't say it because you might you might give a clue. I'm just going to read a little passage from Wikipedia that tells you what mm-hmm. happens in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading this, so it's okay. So <laughs> all um, right. <laughs> so uh, the police are trying to track this woman down. 
and at the dance studio where she claimed to have trained uh oh no hang on sorry no this is the man the man who's placed the ad uh-huh. he tries to track her down using her resume um but at the dance studio where she claimed to have been trained he finds a man with prosthetic feet and the bar where she claimed to work has been abandoned for a year following the murder and dismemberment dismemberment of the owner a passerby tells him that police found three extra fingers an extra ear and an extra tongue when they recovered the body <laughs> so this is the tone of the film yeah i actually think i i watched it as part of like like and somehow someone gave it to me as a double box set maybe and it was so a, in the, yeah okay in the box with it is another arguably more disturbing film wow okay with whose content i think i just shouldn't discuss on the podcast okay yeah um it's pretty cool so so then there's lots of bloodletting at the end Mm-hmm. that I can't really talk about on this podcast. I think people need to look up the Wikipedia. Uh, I, I can tell you it involves some piano wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this uh, <laughs> this this film comes with a health warning. Like, I mean, obviously, you're listening to a, a series of podcasts about horror films, so you know what you're getting into. But, yeah. Um, but know. this is a very good example of extreme Japanese horror. Enjoy responsibly. Yes, Absolutely, and if this, if this doesn't float your boat, that's okay. There'll be there are other films on the list that will. Because uh, yeah. I admit I've only seen this once. I'd probably never watch it again, but I am glad that I've seen it because I can talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should probably try try and find a way of talking about why it's not just awful. Yeah, that's film. a good I mean, point, I mean, actually. Okay, so why, why is it not is just it... morally repugnant to to derive entertainment from watching something? Okay, so let's disturbing. talk about films that are morally repugnant and why they okay. are. Uh, so there's a couple that spring to mind that you probably haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen them either, actually, to be honest, uh-huh. but I have heard a lot about them. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a movie called... Well, actually, there's a, a series of movies called The Human Centipede Films. Yeah. I haven't seen any I of those. I just think that no. they are morally repugnant and have no saving graces whatsoever so what is different what why are they what's wrong with them and what's okay with audition okay so audition audition gets a pass because it's really well made as you as we said at the top of this chat uh it looks great uh you know the, the production values are really good but that that those things on their own are not enough to save it i think the performances are also excellent. And as you said at, at the beginning, um, it is a tale of someone who has transgressed and is being punished for that mm-hmm. transgression. Uh, albeit, um, maybe in a twist of fate, this is happening to him. Because uh, maybe this woman wouldn't have responded to the ad. But the fact that she has means that he's in big trouble. Um, so yeah it's on the list because it is I think it's an iconic horror movie mm-hmm. it's an example of extreme Japanese horror um, mm-hmm. that uh, is uh, you know, there are images in this movie that are still uh, printed like a negative in my mind mm. that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life and that is a sign of a really powerful movie I think that if the movie wasn't good those images probably wouldn't have stuck around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
that they have because because it is a seriously good piece of work but it yeah. is hardcore horror yeah it's it, yeah it, I, I feel like you know when you're watching something that is um, asking you to enjoy something that basically you know when something's making you a worse person and you know when it's not yes okay <laughs> and uh and I feel like I don't feel like this film. I feel like there are things I've watched that have made me a worse person, especially um, relatively trashy cop dramas, right. where they glory in showing you a nasty body because it's sort of exciting and sort of pornographic. Okay, so that's a good point. So let's talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the filmmaker Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. said that he found the ear-cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. to be gratuitous. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. a man who made A Nightmare on Elm Street and The Hills Have Eyes and uh, uh, Last House on the Left, uh, yeah. a film that's still banned in its original form in this country <laughs> for violence. Mm-hmm. So he found the ear-cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs to be gratuitous. And yet he's made some really gruey horror films, some really grueling, mm-hmm. like, survivalist horror movies. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of... I, you know, I also find that scene in Reservoir Dogs to be gratuitous and over the top. But So why? Is it because it, it, uh, it glories in it, yes, violence? Yes, yes. It's the glorification of it and the kind of um, almost pornographic quality to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't find... I feel like it's... I I agree with the point that the kind of pornographic quality is the thing that is a problem. I feel like it establishes that bloke as crazy. Well, I think we already know that scary. he's crazy. He's already done some crazy things. You know, he's um he's clearly not not a stable person. Yeah, Mr. White. It, like anyway, so that kind of establishes the terms of the debate. Anyway, which is yeah. So the terms um, of the debate are is, is that I. Although the violence in and bloodletting in audition is gruey, it's not exploitative. It services the plot. Yeah, I didn't feel like it made me a worse person. No. To watch it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's um although it's uh in my wife's words, out of order mm-hmm. it does serve the plot really well. It does work. Actually just just thinking about this conversation, I don't want to go on all night. Yeah. But, okay. Um I feel like Friday the 13th is an example for me of a film that does did make me feel like it made me a worse person. Yeah, I find that uh I find that most slasher films they just don't do it for me. And I I I'd, right. I'd include Scream in that list. Right. I'm right, afraid. Right. It's certainly Sorry listener. Sorry Kathy. <laughs> it's certainly um Yeah, well yeah, it doesn't do a lot to lift our minds from the uh, a vulnerable or oh, an extremely attractive female who's being um, violently assaulted. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are exceptions to the slasher, you know, the whole the whole thing. And Nightmare on Elm Street is one of those exceptions, uh, but that's mainly because it's um, you know a work of imagination and and quality. But it is definitely a slasher film, albeit one with a yeah. uh, a villain who is. Uh, in your dreams that's what makes it interesting 
What makes it interesting is that they've gone to a considerable amount of effort to make something that will scare you when you walk out of the cinema. Yeah, that's that's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Having seen, you know, we talked last time about how I I dug up that clip from. Uh, oh yes. From Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Yeah. But just watching those 10 seconds of that film makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, it's really good. It's great. <clears throat> it's really great. good. Uh, so that is Audition. And that's our cool. three movies. That, that was numbers 21, 20 and 19 of the top yeah. 30 horror films so of the 20th century. We're already into the teens. Nice. Uh, so we've got yeah. several more episodes where we're going to do three per episode. Yeah, we've got quite a few of those, um, probably five or six, and then we're into mm-hmm. the final three. The final three, we'll get one each. Yeah, although looking at the top five, I'm thinking maybe we should change that rule because the top five are all worth talking about. So you think maybe we should start? Yeah, okay. Well, maybe we'll do we'll slow things down a little bit. We'll see how it's going. Yeah, yeah. So, listener, you've still got time to tell us what you think should be in the top five. Yes. You've still got time to tell us what you think of the films we talked about. And remember, it's got to be also, it's got to be twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, you've also got time to tell us that we're hypocrites for uh, deriving entertainment from violent films and explaining why we're wrong. Yeah, okay, you can tell us that, and uh, <laughs> I'll say no, because <laughs> they're brilliant. Yeah, I want to. I want to talk about that. I think that um, I'm interested in what people want to say about that. I feel like there's always been art, which is at least walking the line of um, taste. Oh, definitely, and, yeah. Um, and I often think that if you try to somehow draw a line and say, "Well, that that's that's okay and that's not," then you'll always fail. So that does mean that enjoying good art does mean that you're sort of a bit morally compromised some, sometimes. Yeah, that's true. But that's also... So good art is edifying and also potentially compromising. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, I'd say, though, that... I would say that all of the films on this list... Or I would say, maybe, no, none of the films on the list would morally compromise you. Uh, That's a bold claim. It is a bold claim, but I don't. I don't think there's anything exploitive on this list. I mm-hmm. think that okay. uh, you know they're all uh, they're all quality films that uh, have stood the test of time. Passed the art test. Yes, they've passed the art test. Yeah. Let us know what you think, listener. Yeah, I mean, actually, there might be one. <laughs> I think there's definitely one halfway through. Giving it, yeah, I'm giving clues away here. Well, there's one halfway uh-huh. through that's going to annoy quite a lot of people, but at the same time, I'm sure there are quite a lot of people who would say, "Yeah, I'm really glad it's in there because I love it." Because I do Looking know that people love it. So there you go. <laughs> it's coming up. We're not that far off halfway. No, we're not. We've still got time. No, we're not. Two weeks away from Maybe. half. Well, two more podcasts away from halfway, I think. Maybe three. Also, listener, if you'd like us to do some other. Countdowns. I think countdowns are a great format. Everyone uses them on the internet. Yeah, they're everywhere. Let us know. Well, didn't we didn't didn't we discuss one on this podcast, or with, or maybe yeah, in our WhatsApp? What, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, top ten Arnie movies. Ah, oh, only ten. <laughs> I think we can only do top ten. Yeah, the we best better one. make it only ten. Yeah. 
Otherwise, we'd be scraping the barrel. Yeah, we would be. We'd be doing um, <laughs> Raw Deal and Eraser. All right. Well, listener, we haven't compiled the top ten Arnie films, so you have time to uh, contribute to that process. Yeah, just don't pick Raw Deal. <laughs> or, or, spoiler, Running Man won't be in there. <laughs> Running Man definitely won't be in there. <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. Oh, no, that's not from Running Man. But... No, that's from... Uh... Uh, Commando. Don't disturb Is my it? friend, he's dead tired. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, do some plugging, okay. quick. So I present a movie show on Glastonbury FM in, this, in the uh, Glastonbury FM 107.1 in the Glastonbury Street and Wells area of Somerset. That goes out live between 6 and 7 on a Thursday evening. Also on the internet, I discuss movie reviews, uh, movies that are on TV at the weekend that the show is on, uh, local listings, some DVD picks. Sometimes I have a live guest. Um, I plug this show on there and that show on here, which means it's kind of a snake eating itself type thing. It's like an eternal golden break. It's like that, yes. Uh, so that uh, there are podcast highlights of that show available Search for Movie Mashup, no camel case, no caps, in your podcasting app of choice. Um, that's my plugging. That's it, that's it. Listener, do rate uh, rate and review this podcast in iTunes or one of the other podcasty ratey type things. Do tweet about it, Facebook about it if you must, Mastodon about it. Um, or rather, I should say toot, that's what they call it on Mastodon. Mm. Toot about it, or... Um, or talk about it and the other parts of the Fediverse that Mastodon is a part of. Yes. Um, uh, tell your friends. Tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. Um, and also leave a comment on the blog. Um, uh, my plugging this week, uh, on the 21st of October, there is a Raspberry Pi jam in Egham. Woohoo! Um, for people interested in the Raspberry Pi or want to know more about it, especially... Uh, good for kids who um, are interested in uh, geeky type stuff or you want to get them interested in geeky type stuff um, have a look on Twitter for a, a handle Twitter handle Eggum Jam um, and you'll see uh, that's where you're going to get your news about the Eggum Raspberry Pi Jam the Raspberry Pi is a tiny little computer that is really cheap you can buy a little one and do geeky stuff on it. I'm we've got a couple of workshops happening at this this time at the Eggham Jam on the 21st mm. of October 2018 um and the, I'm going to be running a workshop Ooh. where you get to you get to make animations by writing code in a little programming language that I wrote. Ooh. I made it um and you you type in little programs like one line long or something like that and it draws pretty pictures. Cool. So we're going to do a workshop where we use that to kind of tell a story. We're going to kind of make up a children's story, not make up. We're going to we're going to do the animations to fit with a little story. Nice. Um, by typing in these programs. Because that's a, that sounds really cool. It should be good. I hope. Yeah. I wrote the worksheet. I posted it on Twitter today. Um, I was interested. I think in, it's going to be good because um, at, at my place of work we are doing work with um can i talk about this maybe i can't but anyway i've been investigating a thing <laughs> called um mpi 
uh-huh. which yeah. is a way of parallel processing um, with computers. Yeah. So you can sharing run lots of stuff in parallel. And you can yeah. do that with Pi. Um, <coughs> Raspberry Pi. <coughs> yeah, so you could, you could network yeah. them together with Ethernet, and then you could have them do a compile. <coughs> but, but instead of compiling on one Pi, you compile on many Pis. Yeah, I think time. it's probably not much use. It doesn't actually do the work that fast because the Raspberry Pi is not very powerful, but it's quite good for learning about how to do that kind of parallel. Exactly, yeah. It wouldn't be quick, but it would show you how MPI hangs together, what it needs mm, in order mm, to function, mm. uh, which is interesting. Yeah, there's someone at university who's made some massive cluster of Raspberry Pis, like thousands of them. I yeah, think. and it's now able to compile as fast as like an x86 <laughs> skip, six <laughs> CPU. Oh, they're not, they're not that slow. No, they're, they're not good that enough. slow, yeah. Raspberry Pi is a great little computer. If you didn't know about it before, it's 30 quid. Now, you obviously need a screen, a mouse, and a keyboard after that, so it doesn't give you everything you need. But yeah. um, it costs you about 30, 25 quid, and it's good enough to have a normal computer. You know, you can have a web browser and a word processor and an email program and stuff like that on it. It all works nicely. But what's the fun in that? What you should do with it is um, give it to your child so they can write code on it, right? That's what's really fun about it. They can yeah. write code that makes music with a program called Sonic Pi. They can write code that makes animations with my new program called Graft. Graft. Uh, Graft. Uh, they can write games. You can follow my YouTube videos that tell you how to make a little game on a Raspberry Pi in Python. Oh, my. You can run Scratch on there, which they've probably, if they're in the UK, they've probably used Scratch at school. We can get Scratch on the Raspberry Pi as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they break it, it only costs 30 quid. You can get another one. Yeah, they're pretty hard to break, though, aren't they? Well, the stuff some just of runs who, off an SD card. Those of us who, who, for whom 30 quid is small enough that you can just get another one, at least, can just get another one. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that sounds like it might be the show. That's the show. Thanks, yeah. listener. Well, See you next time. The pod. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. See you.